0: Hey guys, welcome to Fox out the Foxology podcast. Your best you guest is Tim Jefferson, a co-host, and, and best guest is Timmy and the best guest is Nate Eary on the house.
1: Nate Eary, yep, he's not here, but he's at home. Yeah, he's in the state. Yeah. For Thanksgiving break. That's right. Great. So, so welcome to Voxology podcast. Yep. We've got your uh, your host Seth Eary and um, your two sub hosts. Uh, Tim Stafford and Mike Erie and uh, Seth, how are you doing today, man? Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. <laughs> you're, wel- <laughs> you're welcome. You're um, welcome. What was? What did you do on Thanksgiving, honey? What did you do? I
0: just uh, Susie P Lynn.
1: Yeah, we went and saw Susie P Lynn and and um, shared a meal with that family. Uh, what did you eat? What was your favorite thing to eat that night?
0: Um, about turkey. Turkey? And mashed potatoes.
1: Mashed potatoes are the best. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Did you have some and, gravy with that?
0: Um, yes, and salad.
1: And salad? Yeah. Oh, well, that seems like a little way, Seth, but okay. You want to ask Tim what his favorite thing was to eat? Yes. Well, go ahead and ask him. Hey, Tim, what's
0: you your favorite you eat? Stafford?
1: You know what? We didn't do Thanksgiving.
2: I had a small piece of salmon and some sweet potato fries.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Seth, what, how do we handle this? It's to me, fries. Yeah, I, he had sweet potato fries. Wow. Yeah, and a small piece of salmon. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow.
1: So so we'll get back to that, Seth. Yeah. But is there anything you want to tell the entire internet right now yes internet what do you want to tell them
0: good morning welcome to Fox
1: yep that's for sure what do we want to play hit your hit your music
0: so what this face oh we're doing the blessing now yes, we're yes.
1: starting with the blessing
0: I love I love seven
1: I love Shema, Stafford. Yeah. Shema oh, we're doing the Shema too. We're not,
0: we're you.
1: Adonai not, Echad. Hero Israel, Israel, The Lord our God, The Lord we're is one, Lord alone. Yes. We're love the Lord your God, God. with your God. heart, soul, love, mind, mind and strength, strength, and love your neighbor, neighbor as, as yourself. yourself. Nice. Hey,
0: hey, guess I was Nate. Even though he was Nate, so.
1: Even even though Nate's not here, will you want to do Nate theme song? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. His so. Name his name what hey that's
0: nate's theme on.
1: all right <laughs> what's up everybody you know what time it is it's nate play my theme song yeah tim stafford let's talk about salmon and sweet potato fries for a second what um yeah, yeah what happened
2: well we were supposed to take um thursday and friday to be just our family time yeah so we told everybody we couldn't do thanksgiving uh, that we would be spending that time by ourselves and, um, then everybody in my house got sick. Oh no. Yep. Oh so no. So we were eating leftovers from the night before and not doing anything. Okay. <laughs>
1: All right, well,
2: you know... We are going to go skiing, go and cut down a Christmas tree in the forest, because we bought permits in the Tahoe National Forest each year, so we can go cut down our own tree out in the woods, um,
1: but we weren't able to do any of that. And now I'm painting the house, so... You know, there's a rule where, you know, in podcasts, you want to start off with positivity and high energy, <laughs> and um, well, so much You came for... to the
2: right place.
1: <laughs> First of all, dude, I'm so sorry. That's horrible was it the
2: stomach thing going around no everybody got the like cold fever i was out prepping the house i was on a ladder for 10 hours with 102 degree
1: temperature okay that sounds really smart my friend yeah great work and that's a great way to get healthy right so i'm still a little congested oh my goodness okay well um i i see that i'm gonna have to carry us um, whatever i 'm full of energy yeah you are Let that's go. salmon yes that's salmon i didn't realize my my question about Thanksgiving meals would lead <laughs> us well you should have known into the darkness um <clears throat> first of all i want I want you to know that we uh in the Erie clan we decorated like two or three weeks ago, so oh I know there's no decorating that's going on this weekend because it's already decorated so now we just enjoy watching other people scurry around and realize no no we're great we're already set secondly we're recording this the saturday of uh thanksgiving weekend which is uh the traditional time for the ohio state michigan game and um so that's happening in uh at the right at the end of this podcast the game will start so it could be a good day or a bad day we're not quite sure yet yeah you are gonna continue to paint correct I am. That is correct. All right. Well, let's, let's just get right to this. You said via text yesterday, you wanted us to be efficient mm-hmm. and, um, I, you know, I have a 102 degree fever. I'm going to paint my house <laughs> later, but yeah. before we do that, I am going to do a podcast. So just a couple of thank yous. I want to thank, uh, Rosanna and I'm sorry, Rosanna, I just can't say your name, without the Toto song popping into my head, because it's a great song. Sing it. And, and, uh, and I want to thank Wendy. Thank you both for coming on the, the Patreon journey with us. Um, as always, we are um, a crowdfunded nonprofit. Uh, everything you give is tax deductible. For those of you who do end-of-year giving, hey, we're over here. Um, once you give to more worthier causes, um, we're, we're available. Um, are you not going to sing the song? What, which song? Rosanna. Oh, well, I didn't, I mean, she probably hears this all the time. So I wasn't going to like, you know. You could spin it, do a vineyard version. A
2: vineyard version?
1: Rosanna in the highest. I like that. Well done. (laughs) All right. Uh, The other thing I want to do is just have a a Mike's Morning, uh, M-O-U-R Morning. Yeah. we we had uh to suffer through um at least two mass shootings one of them in uh, club q in colorado um five people were killed and 19 injured um, in what looks like was very targeted um i don't know assassination i mean murder assassination i don't even know what terrorist action i don't even know what word you use for that Um, And then, uh, of course, our heart uh, breaks for all of the LGBTQA plus folks that, um, you know, find uh, safety in spaces like that that become violated. And I just remember years ago in The Pulse, um, what was it, nightclub in Orlando. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just beyond beyond heartbreaking tim was lamenting last night via text how how often um christians quote unquote are you know associated with uh, not only these kind of actions but the rhetoric that makes these sort of actions permissible and encouraged and um and then of course there was a walmart shooting um a, a manager evidently um six dead and several injured there and you know as as followers of jesus um uh we grieve with those who are grieving we lament the great evil afoot in the world we look at god and ask you know how long till you come and like restore everything hurry up please and then we look at ourselves and and just the the absolute absurdity of not taking uh all of these shootings seriously um the, and the numbness that you know i think we all sort of feel it yet another example of this and we just lament all of that and we're so very sorry friends for uh living in, in a world like this we're so very sorry for the um really the underrepresented folks in our American culture who have now, you know, are increasingly becoming targets of all sorts of awful. And um, anyway, I just, I needed to lament that because man, it's just heavy and, and it, and it's, it's, you know, and, and this is the stuff that makes the national news. Who knows what's happening in local areas, you know, all over the place. So anyway, we're just sad and heartbroken about that. Um anything you want to add to that Timothy? Um cuz you were painting just, angry. I was
2: painting angry. The um what I kept thinking about is just how much power words carry. Yeah. And it is rhetoric. We saw this with all of the previous president um using the coronavirus using uh the nation of China as a pejorative within Yeah naming that flu as a joke and, and a lot of people were just like, well, hey, you know, this that is where it started, yada, yada, yada. But then we saw a lot of our Asian American friends being uh, targeted and persecuted and hurt, yeah. people that were born here just because they had a heritage that was associated with those derogatory words. And it's the same thing with the shooting in the club is there's a lot of rhetoric going around about... Uh, labeling people from that community as um, monsters that are trying to do things to our children and all this stuff, and uh, it's those words ignite things in people and cause things to happen. And I, and it, that's on a big level, but I think that there's still people that use terminology uh, f- that used to be publicly accepted for um, making derogatory comments about. Uh, queer people and those words are still being used by people in comical ways with yeah. amongst friends and I would like to encourage people to realize how much weight their words carry and how sharp and harmful and destructive just words are yeah. just language and that is what is causing people to feel emboldened to go and do these heinous things and to hurt these people so it dr- it drives me nuts. Thoughts and prayers are great, and I don't would never want to diminish uh, a prayer. But your words carry a lot of weight. Yeah. Even your words, speaking positively and in support and in lament and in affirmation of people, uh, words carry a lot. So we need to. I'll never understand why things are this way, but I would like to work actively to dismantle it.
1: Yep. And so we're grateful for a community, uh, like you, where we get to wrestle through some of these things. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of, of harm, the church has done, um, <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about how, uh, women have been, um, very much, uh, side-lined, marginalized, stereotyped, um, in uh, church roles because of some verses in the New Testament. And and we, I mean, I hope we've demonstrated over the last seven years that we do take the Bible very seriously. And we want to take the Bible very seriously. and We have a very high view of the Bible. And um, taking the Bible seriously means that we are constantly interrogating some yes. of the things that we That were called normal in evangelical culture
2: what's the normal terminology for how people talk about the bible Um, hermeneutics no 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 like the phrase like not hold a high view but a something like or maybe it is the high view we hold a high view of the bible or inspired scripture or infallible inerrant that people use to just pull verses out and whatever proof texting we were talking i think off mic (laughs) which is your other podcast, that um, <laughs> that we do hold a high view of scripture, but that maybe it was with Marty last week mm. and how that means like giving it the room to have the mystery and the like, it's bigger than we think it is sometimes. And it takes work. And that is a high view is yeah. being willing to do the work and to That's dig right. and to pick. That's and, right.
1: Yeah, to let the let the script, scripture speak for itself is a really hard thing because it yeah. takes us places that aren't always comfortable or easy. And in in my case, the scriptures really took me away from a view I inherited, just in seminary and my local church contexts, um, which was which was um, a view that women are equal in value. And in worth and in dignity as image bearers, but they have a um, they have a different role in the kingdom and in the church and in the home than men do, and um, and this is built into the very fabric of what it is to be male and female, and built in the very fabric of the creation story, mm-hmm. and um, and so I you know as I began to see some of the hypocrisy around that view like women could share but not teach or they could lead as directors but not pastors or they could they could be teaching on the mission field but not back in the states Um, i i just started to look at those texts that are typically used you know to sort of um, (laughs) to back up that view and realized oh well there's i don't think those are the most faithful renderings of of scripture yeah. And so, uh, we've been doing just a little sub series of conversations on biblical masculinity, which leads us straight into biblical femininity, because um, very often masculinity by certain segments of the Christian community is defined over and against uh, femininity, and um, and so uh there's a very traditional view that i don't think many hold anymore and the traditional view is that women are inferior and so the reason they are not allowed to lead is because they're not fully formed humans this was aristotle and um and uh you know some greek thinkers and you know has been held by all sorts of um (laughs) patriarchs uh before and since but the uh, the t- very traditional role of, of women in leadership is that women shouldn't lead because they're 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 incapable of leading. They're too emotional. They're too, right. you know, I, or somebody what did we say last week William Wolfe or yes, one they're, of the they're Wolves, too inclusive and empathetic. All yeah. yeah. right, so that's that's the traditional view. The complementarian <laughs> view is the view that women are equal. They're not inferior, but they can't lead um, traditionally in the church. And that's because um, they have a different set of abilities that match a different role that they're to have and that's that's you know they they're to follow or they're to respond or yeah yeah and then the view that that i've grown into has been something called egalitarian which is that women are equal and they can lead anywhere because of the abilities of of women, not in spite of their abilities, but because of their abilities. So yeah. a couple of episodes ago, we were trying to make the positive case that in, in the scriptures, we have examples of women leading in very, very patriarchal structures, and that those women, um, at least in the New Testament, didn't seem to be like exceptions, but just the norm of Jesus's ministry and Paul's ministry. But there's a pesky verse that we've got to deal with in 1 Timothy that, um, that you know, we just need to uh, acknowledge and um, you know, and and kind of reckon with because this, and there, are, there are a couple of other passages as well. Um, I actually think they're more easily dealt with, but um, the passage is this: First uh, Timothy two eleven through fifteen. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And um, I remember I was watching a debate between a a complementarian scholar and an egalitarian scholar and the complementarian scholar just very smugly said well I mean here's the verse this is what it says like that was the end of the debate and it's so and this is a guy had in seminary and I was so disgusted by how lame uh, that way of arguing was because first of all every single word and that text is disputed about mm-hmm. its meaning, about how you translate it, about how you interpret it. And and just to say, well, that's what it says in English, so that settles it. Okay, <laughs> well then, why, why aren't we greeting each other with holy kisses then? Uh, why aren't we encouraging slaves to be subject to their masters where slavery is still accepted then, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's awful. And if that's the best, and it's not, that the other side has... Really? I just, I'm like, oh, come on, man. And so, so the pushback I always get is like, well, anytime people like me try to tell people like our audience that the English words don't mean what the English words words seem to mean, that somehow we're on a slippery slope to all sorts of heresy and nonsense. Right. And I understand that. And certainly that's happened in the past, but in this instance, the the amount of of top drawer scholarship that is pushing back against the kind of complementarian narrative yeah you just can't dismiss it by saying oh this is this is just what it says in english so that's what it what it it is so uh, if you're if you don't care about this issue then this is going to be a really boring podcast for you um i think you should care about this issue no matter if you're in church leadership or or in nonprofit leadership or whatever because i think or that if you're a human being Or if you're a human being and if you if you have some sort of breath in your lungs Yeah. Um, i think this matters because as we've said before good theology doesn't save us but bad theology does a lot of harm. Mm. And um, and good theology does a lot of help but it just doesn't our our faith isn't in good theology. But this is a place where I think women have been really, really harmed by, um, certain theological viewpoints and, and at bottom, you know, this verse is kind of at the central is the central oh. focus. Um, and so I, we're going to do some work on how do we understand this verse? And, and I'm going to go through a bunch of material. And there are counters from um, complementarian scholars to everything I'm going to say. And then there are counters to those counters and responses (laughs) to those responses. And there are hundreds and hundreds of books about this. Um, I'm only suggesting that the issue isn't as cut and dry. Um, And because the issue isn't as cut and dry to relegate over half the church to followership or responsiveness rather than leadership and governance and teaching and preaching, I think is a very, you know, dramatic mistake. Yeah. Um, And I think we're seeing the fruit of um, the lack of female leadership in the, you know, in so much of the scandal and the ineffectiveness of the church today. Yes. So um, disclaimer number one, every word is disputed. There are all sorts of counter arguments disclaimer number two i've been influenced by a number of great scholars i'm not going to cite them all um no, uh, disclaimer number three um this is some um, i'm i'm not showing my work but i'm announcing conclusions and so just for the sake of time and efficiency and you know not to bore you to death all right, so whenever we come to a specific verse, as we've talked about many times when we've talked about the Bible, you never just pull a verse and say, oh, well, this is what the verse says, end of story. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to do um, literary analysis. And um, we start with asking the question, what genre uh, does this verse find itself in? And in this particular instance, it's, it's, it's found in a group of three letters called pastoral epistles. They're different than... Um, some of the more general epistles, some of the general epistles like Ephesians or Colossians were meant to be passed around to communities. Um, other epistles like Corinthians or Romans were passed around cities. Um, so those large cities would have, you know, maybe two or three different house churches and those letters would be read there. The pastoral, um, the pastoral letters are written to individuals. Um, and they're written with like they're written with pastoral needs kind of in mind. So one is to Titus, and there's two to Timothy. And one of the things that's very neglected before we ever get to First Timothy is that Paul's primary concern in the pastoral letters is the uh, missionary nature of the church and how to make um, the gospel of Jesus attractive to those who have never heard of it and so paul is constantly promoting behaviors and attitudes that will reinforce the image of christians as people who who support and respect the social order we looked at this when we looked at ephesians 5 and we looked at how paul like acknowledged the household code. He used it to talk about how the church should function, but he planted in the household code, the, the subversive dynamics of the gospel that will ultimately invert the whole thing. Yeah. So he does this with, with all of his letters on the one hand, he's acknowledging, um, the accommodation and he's affirming the ideal. And, in, and, he, and he does that mix differently when it's, you know, meat sacrifice to idols or women in leadership um, or slavery. He will mix that differently, but he's doing it all the time. The pastorals hold a particular emphasis on that on the church presenting the best possible face to Greco-Roman society and to maintain the goodness of the reputation of the Christian movement.
2: Yeah, so that's important. People can go back and listen to the Ephesians one because you do it. You pick apart each of those inversions, what yes. women were viewed as there and why children to fathers, right. slave to master. And when he inverts that, what that means culturally to the people that are reading that letter because I think that's an important, like how women were viewed in the culture of that church in that time, in that city, when he's inverting at what that's speaking directly to and why.
1: Right, right. And so, um, Paul will often say, and I'm just pulling from, um, first Timothy and Titus, um, he'll say things like, so that no one may be open to blame so that they are well known for their good deeds so as to give the opponent no occasion for slander in order that god's name and the teaching might not be slandered these are all separate passages in order that the word of god might not be slandered in order that the opponent might be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us in order that that may adorn the teaching of uh, our savior god in everything and so the repeated emphasis is that the church would act in a way so as to occasion no slander against it. Now, if a gospel issue is at stake, slander away. Paul will even say this, right? We preach foolishness, you know, to the Greeks. And um, and and there's no way around that. So when the gospel is at stake, it's okay that, that people misunderstand or are offended. But when it's the conduct of the church, he's constantly through these letters saying that, that no one has the opportunity to slander the way that we live. Are you with me so far? Yeah. This is so important that as qualifications for church leadership in Titus and in 1 Timothy, we're, we're repeatedly told that leaders must be worthy of respect and have a good reputation with outsiders. All right? Now, so Paul has an overriding agenda in First and Second Timothy and Titus, and when we get to First Timothy two, um, Paul begins the instructions that we're going to look at specifically with an appeal to that motive to make the gospel attractive. In chapter two, verse one, he says, "I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live." peaceful and quiet lives and that's we're going to use peaceful and quiet lives uh we're going to apply that to women later and that we should be living in all godliness and holiness and then seven verses later he says therefore i want men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing i want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety and a woman should learn in quietness and full submission in other words Paul begins chapter 2 by saying um, we are invited as God's people to live in a way that is peaceful and quiet. And then he gives instructions for how you live peacefully and quietly. And that includes the verse under consideration, women should be quiet. Um, So the word quiet there is the same word used in both places, meaning that what Paul's doing is exactly what he was doing in Ephesians. He's ordering the church in ways that prevent the reputation of the church from being slandered unnecessarily by outsiders. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. So, this is – this is and, and, and we've used this example before. This is the same reasoning. Paul is talking to men and women in light of his concern that the church looked good to outsiders, so so that it might cause as little scandal as possible. The message is scandalous, but the conduct of the churches should not be. Um, he doesn't mind causing scandal when gospel's at stake, but here, I mean, teaching that women should not flaunt their wealth and should dress modestly, because modesty wasn't a sexual issue, it was a wealth issue mm. um, in Paul's mind. Um, using the same reasoning, like if you're a Christian woman in Pakistan and uh, you're in a rural village and you're there to represent the the like the good news of Jesus. Um, it would be wise, not required, but wise, if you were, uh, if you were veiled in public, if you didn't show public affection with your husband, um, if you refrain from communicating to men who aren't family members, all of which should be incredibly, offensive to the culture you're trying to love and serve right Right. so this is just this is paul's ordinary missionary agenda he's writing to timothy and writing to titus and he's giving them instructions about how to make the gospel attractive in that culture right all right and he ties the instructions that he gives to men and women to the beginning of chapter two how do we live peaceful and quiet lives all right That's big point number one. So the wider context of 1 Timothy 2 is the pastoral epistles. Secondly, then we have to take 1 Timothy 2 as a part of all of 1 Timothy. And I know, guys, I know if you're listening through this, this is one of the sloggier pieces of content, but it matters because this passage is so central. Yeah. So in the context of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy is dealing with some sort of false teaching that is affecting women. All right, so I'm going to read to you a bunch of passages from 1 Timothy that tell you that Paul is addressing some sort of problem within the church. All right, so in chapter 1, Uh, He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, Timothy, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine, that's the first hint we get, any longer, or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Hmm. Such things promote controversial speculations. Some have defarted, I almost said defarted from the faith. You did say it. (laughs) Defarted from the faith. And they have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what, say, what they so confidently affirm. All right. So this is literally the first part of the letter. We've got false doctrines, myths and endless genealogies, controversial See, no one, nobody's speculations. Ever
2: liked reading genealogies.
1: Yes, especially <laughs> meaningless ones. Um, we've got meaningless talk. And we've got people who think they know what they're talking about, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Sounds familiar. I'm just saying (laughs) like, oh, okay, well, there's clearly a problem. Yeah. And Timothy, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies made about you, holding on to your faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among Mm. them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So, already, we're into verse 18, and you're like, okay, there is some sort of really nasty false teaching going on. Yeah. And he names two of the false teachers, and they're men. Uh, in chapter 4, he comes back to this false teaching. He says, the, the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. <laughs> they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So, so we, we get a little glimpse, another glimpse into this. So, they're, so the false teachers are forbidding people from marrying and eating certain, certain foods, um later in chapter 4 paul says have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales again these Mm. meaningless speculations and false teachings watch your life and doctrine closely he says because persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourself and your hearers so there's some sort of malpractice and malteaching that's going on in the church right yeah this is not subtle this is very clearly what paul is addressing in chapter 5 Paul's going to go on and on about widows. And so the false teaching was being spread by women who were, um, you know, moving kind of from house to house talking about this. So notice what he's talking about. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should first learn uh, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repairing their parents and grandparents. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to seek God and to ask him for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. There's that motive again. Yeah no widow is to be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 having and has been faithful to her husband and is well known again there's that missionary motive well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children showing hospitality washing feet of the lord's people helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds why are we talking about widows so much as for younger widows do not put them on such a list to receive the church's benevolence For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. And there's all sorts of like, like that's a sidelight conversation about what he's talking about here. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and go about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense saying things they ought not to. Now, again, this is the same language he was using in chapter one. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Again, mentioning again, some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. All right, so how has Satan been mentioned? Well, the fo- they're following the things that are taught by demons is yeah. the idea, right? So the widows are at a focal point of whatever the false teaching turns out to be. Okay. Are you with me so far? Yeah. So we did so the still c- addressing the false teaching.
2: Now he's narrowing in on something specific within that.
1: Yes. That, that is going on among the women. Yes. If a woman who is a, who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. And then he ends this whole section by saying the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, the sins of others trail behind them. So he's correcting here. There's something happening with the widows of the church and this false teaching and he's offering corrections. And these seem so archaic to us, of course, widows uh, on a list and so on and so on and so on. But it was one of the ways that the early church demonstrated its fidelity to Jesus was by taking care of the widows and orphans in chapter six. Okay, we're still talking about the false teaching yeah if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our lord jesus christ and a godly teaching they are conceited and understand nothing they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy strife malicious talk evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind right so i mean come on <laughs> later he says timothy turn guard what has been entrusted to your care turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge now this (laughs) verse ooh, this is this is the doozy which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith now so he's using meaningless talk godless chatter endless controversy But he says, turn away from the godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. All right, gnosis, uh, and we know this from first century sources and from later sources, there was a ton of controversy around this idea of gnosis. um, Because in the second century, there bloomed fully Um, A view called uh, Gnosticism, which was deemed Mm -hmm. utterly heretical that John deals with and Paul deals with in kind of its insipid, you know, infant forms. And so um, from the way Paul describes all of that false teaching, um, it seems very, very likely that he's dealing with some sort of embryonic form of Gnosticism. All right, and Gnosticism didn't fully appear into the second century, but there, John's dealing with it when he says things like, you know, unless you affirm that Jesus has come in the Christ in the flesh, you are Antichrist. I mean, that's what he's dealing with the the Gnostic view. The not now here are characteristics of the Gnostics. All right, and you'll see how this gets into First Timothy. Yeah. The gnostics taught that full salvation comes through special knowledge that's why that that verse is so important when paul says stay away from what is falsely called knowledge so the gnostics taught salvation comes through special knowledge or gnosis that only the properly initiated possess right all right um almost early almost all of the early gnostics pulled um, aspects of Judaism and the Old Testament law into their view. And that's why Paul's dealing by saying that some people are like misusing the law. Um, The false teaching that was common in some forms of Gnosticism is that um, you had to forbid from certain worldly pleasures. So they would forbid people from marrying and from eating certain foods like Paul is addressing. Um, here with Timothy in Ephesus. Um, uh, And the the Gnostics included or really focused on mindless speculation about knowledge. Gnosis was related to something called pleroma. Pleroma was fullness. So God's fullness was sort of, um, uh, and this, I can't, God's fullness was sort of diffused throughout the universe. And um, God's pleroma, and what the Gnostics promised was the knowledge of the angelic order so that you could, um, uh, approach the fullness of God directly instead of having it diffused throughout the universe because they taught the, the lowest form, the thing that had the lowest amount of Pleroma, I believe was the human body. So the human mm. body was the lowest form of the fullness of god so jesus could not have been in human flesh Mm. um and so so the 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 knowledge allowed you to escape that form and ascend into the realms of the angelic where the pleroma or the fullness of god was more prevalent and that's disseminated up and yes and that's why paul will say the fullness of the deity of god Mm -hmm. is in christ the, right. the Like the fullness of the fullness, the fullness of the pleroma of God is in Christ. Now, yeah. all of this meant that there was, uh, so when he's using meaningless speculation and endless genealogies, I mean, that's what he's talking about. All right. From other sources, um, we can reconstruct Gnostic teaching. One of the biggest things the Gnostics did is they elevated Eve over Adam mm. and, um, Eve was regarded as a mediator and redeemer. Um, They they taught that Eve pre-existed Adam um, and that man came into existence. Adam came from Eve. And that Eve, because she was the first one to take the bite of the tree of the knowledge, gnosis of good and evil, Mm -hmm. that she was the ambassador of the special knowledge that, that Gnostics coveted. Right. So they they flipped the Genesis story Eve pre existed Adam Eve taking the bite of the tree was an act of liberation and she became the bearer of special knowledge. And so in this in in Gnostic circles the leadership of women was valued over the leadership of men for that Mm. exact reason Um, because they were the ones that that um, first took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, but evidently, and Paul's you know, emphasis on widows seems to be that although there were a couple of dudes teaching this, it was uh, among the women that the false teaching grew most rapidly. You could see why, right? Um, yeah. in, a, in a circumstance where women are more valued. And this was consistent with other cults of uh, Roman imperial cults and ancient Greek cults of the time where roman where a women would be elevated over men artemis the cult of artemis is a great example of that too so all that is to say when we get to the specific verses that that are in contention um, about men you know praying lifting up holy hands with anger disputing women dressing modestly Um, Not with elaborate hairstyles or expensive clothes. Again, it's a wealth issue, not a purity issue. yeah. Uh, But rather with good deeds appropriate for women who profess worship of God. Um, Paul's offering correction. He's not offering universal um, uh, teaching for every church ever. He's correcting (laughs) something, Right? I mean, right. <laughs> the pastoral the pastorals are written with a a view towards presenting Jesus without cause for slander. First Timothy is dealing with some sort of gnosticism that has infected the church and um, is causing. Um, A great deal of division and so much so that Paul like references several times people have turned away to follow teachings by demons or that I've handed these two over to Satan so they would not blaspheme or that women have shipwrecked their faith or whatever it is, right? I mean, this is, these are like very hard images for what this false teaching is doing. And so, this is a corrective passage. This isn't Paul just saying, Hey, let me give you Here's a theology the of yeah. how men and women should relate to each other universally. Right. Paul is giving correction here. All right. So, that's big point number two. Big point number one there is a missionary motive to Paul's pastoral letters to allow them to fit well within Greco Roman culture. And then he introduces the gospel dynamics that overturn Greco Roman culture eventually. Right. (laughs) Second big point is, is that the cult, the, uh, context of first Timothy is that there is some massive false teaching that's going on here and it lines up really well with what we know about early and late forms of Gnosticism and it completely makes sense of the instructions that Paul then turns to give. Yeah. All right. So let's go now that now we're to the verse we've looked at the verse. Now, a woman should learn, here's what's fascinating. Um, woman here could also mean wife, and it could also mean one wife in particular. So, so mm. what in English sounds like women All everywhere, women. Yeah. Um, you could literally translate the Greek, and I have checked this, because I am now a master, that's in right. the Greek arts. Um, a woman or a wife should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a wife to teach or have authority over her husband. Uh for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women or she, singular, will be saved through childbearing if they plural continue in faith love and holiness with propriety so there's this play between the singular and the plural and the pronouns and between a woman generically or a wife specifically so already it's just not as clear i mean and you can go on bible gateway and see all these textual footnotes right i mean this isn't like hidden somewhere yeah (laughs) all right so that's the first point the second point when um it says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission now the word quietness uh in greek here uh, is the word for temporary quietness as in yielding the floor for someone else to speak Um, The word for quietness is used rather than the word for silence that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14. Quietness is an orientation or a posture. It's not a practice. Now, it it, it orients itself in silence, but he's not commanding women to be silent. He's commanding them to learn in quietness. Yeah. Okay, now that is a huge difference. Very, yeah. Right? So it's the same word that's used in Acts 22, too. When they heard Paul speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Meaning they, sh- they shushed because they were paying attention. Yeah. Right? They wanted to hear what he had to say. So when it says a woman should learn in quietness and full, uh, full submission, this is about the posture of a student. Mm -hmm. And if men were being disruptive, he'd say the same thing to them, right? This isn't like a universal thing just to women. This is the posture of anybody in the assembly. So either this particular wife or a woman or in general, women should learn in quietness and full submission. Then he says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Now this, okay, this is a guy named Philip Payne um, who shows that this is, um, is translated, I am not now permitting a woman to teach. It is not a permanent ban, it is a temporary injunction. He has shown conclusively that there is nowhere, not one instance in Greek literature, anywhere, where the form of this verb means I am permanently banning someone from teaching we're speaking mm. and always like all of greek literature not and just, all of greek literature yeah um this this verb implies a ban for a specific period of time until the whatever problem is happening is, is solved is solved exactly exactly now this is not i mean i never heard this stuff now obviously yeah. there are counters to this but the Philippine stuff man Oh my goodness. Um the, and it's founded man and woman one in Christ, which is his book, an exe- exegetical and theological study of Paul's letters. Paul could have said I will never permit a woman to teach, but he did yeah. not. He is correcting a problem. So the verb is in the present active voice, which means I am not now permitting a woman to teach. All right? So I mean, that's pretty massive. So a woman or a wife should learn in full quietness, like temporarily and submission. I am not now permitting a woman to assume authority over her husband or a man. She must be quiet. There's that word quiet again. It's not silent, yeah. it's quiet. Um and And the word man, the word assume authority, this word has been there have been more books written about this word. (laughs) It it only occurs here in the New Testament. In some cases, it can mean to domineer or to usurp authority over, but it also has the sense of to exercise authority over. So it could mean I do not permit a woman temporarily to usurp the rightful authority of a man or to exercise proper authority over man. We don't know which one it is. Mm. Paul doesn't seem to be talking about occasions where it's okay for women to teach or exercise authority over men. Right. But, th- but he seems to be talking about places where it's inappropriate that they do yeah. so. Does that make sense? Yep. And then there's a lot of debate about whether or not um, teach and assume authority go together. Are they expressing one ideas or two? One right. idea or two ideas? Are those two things one thing or is it? Yes, exactly. Separate. Hindeos, uh, I think is how you pronounce that. Where um, to teach and assume authority could could refer to teaching comma or assuming authority, right? Or it could refer to a kind of teaching that assumes authority. Authority, yeah. It's just not. It's not. I mean, there are debates around this, and I can give you my take on it, but that's in the weeds, way too much. So. A woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. Um, I'm not currently permitting a woman to either presumably usurp authority or to exercise teaching authority over a man or a husband. She must be quiet. Now, why does Paul immediately get into for for Adam was formed first, then Eve? Some people will say, hey, this is a universal injunction. Because Paul appeals to creation order. The problem is there are other places where Paul appeals to creation order in a situation that's clearly temporary and cultural mm-hmm. like 1 Corinthians 14 or 11 with head coverings. I think it's 11 with head coverings. He appeals to creation order there, but we would all say that's a, that's a cultural thing he's dealing with. So just yeah. because he appeals to creation, doesn't mean this is a universal thing. In fact. I would argue the reason he starts talking about creation order is why what did the gnostics teach yeah i was gonna say yeah eve was formed first and she pre-existed adam so paul directly says nope adam was formed first then eve and then notice the gnostics held that eve was the one who you know, uh, approached the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate of it, and so she was the one enlightened. And he yeah. says, No, 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 Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived, and she became a sinner. Yeah. Now notice, he's not saying that the woman is more easily deceived. Right. Right. It was the serpent that was the issue. But that in this instance, where they were claiming um, that women had special knowledge, and because they took the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Paul's reminding them of the Genesis story, which said taking the fruit wasn't good. That right. was a deception, and sin entered through that deception. Right. And then you get this weird, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith love holiness with propriety and i and i actually don't know what what he's referring to there 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 are some think this is a reference to mary but a woman singular will be saved through childbearing uh and the idea of genesis 3 that the woman and her seed will conquer the serpent and his seed so again back to genesis that's kind of my view yeah but there are other views that think this is this is this is similar to what paul says later to the widows when he says I counsel the widows to go ahead get married, raise children, you know, and perform deeds appropriate to a woman who professes worship. Yeah. So there are a number of different ways to take this, but here's the point I want to make. The biggest point I want to make overall is if you just take this verse and pull it out in English, you miss all of that. Yeah. Now you may disagree with all of what I've just presented. Yeah, totally. But what you can't do is just say, "Well, here's the English verse, and yeah, this, this settles it." Verse. Yeah. Yes, because it doesn't. And so, um, you know, and and we, I mean, there's so much. There, <laughs> there's so much more <laughs> that goes into this. Like, like, how do you understand that word "gar," which we translate for? Um, for Adam was formed first, is that because Adam was formed first or as an illustration Adam was formed first, or is he moving on to a different topic? I mean, well, and as Adam, is that the same word as when we were in Genesis that was speaking well, for no, this is no, he's clearly meaning the name here, the name, Adam, yes. Um, and, uh, and the woman Eve. So gotcha. he's clearly meaning the, the gendered pair. Um, but the, the false teaching re, 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 screwed up the gendering so that, that the woman was formed first. She you know, had special knowledge. He's not downgrading women and saying they're more easily susceptible. I've heard some complementarians say that's what he's teaching here. Right. No, no, the word deceived here is very strong. It's something that happened to the woman.
2: I mean, if it was a matter of being easily deceived, she was deceived by like a spiritual entity <laughs> and Adam was just like, "What's that? Oh yeah, I'll take some of that." Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. totally, totally. So, so um, it's yes. Well, there's just
2: so all the Genesis stuff is obviously fascinating because he's linking it to stuff that we've been parking in a little bit. That yes, yes, really big ideas and concepts, uh, especially with in, in regard to gender roles. Yeah, when you talk about the gospel and making sure that the gospel um is being presented correctly or whatever then we start talking about well what is the gospel because the gospel that as we've understood it as we've picked apart in previous series and uh versus if if the gospel is in some ways um the getting back to what god's ideal was in the garden like Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. humans being fully human and Mm -hmm. being bearers of the name and all that kind of stuff if that is what the gospel is, even in Paul's terminology, right. then presenting um, ideas where, the, where humans are being fully fulfilled and fully seen and et cetera, et cetera, that changes the way that, at least for me, Absolutely. with what I grew up as, is what ministry is. I'm using air quotes that you can't see. And <clears throat> what it means to be a missionary or to be a minister of the gospel, if that's what the gospel is, that changes what that means. And that changes how that's presented in my brain Yeah, for how a community lives together and operates. Yep. And yep. if you're trying to not distract the Roman culture or whoever, right? Uh, and you give the good example of if you're going to go and live amongst a culture in which Holy. these things are offensive, you, you know that you will shut the door immediately to that culture if you're that's offending right. them. That's right. So you want to... Love and appreciate people to, and then obviously, as we've talked about over and over again, what real ministry looks like is living amongst people for a long period of time and loving them. With no agenda. With no agenda. Yeah. So take, there's just, what I'm saying is it's not just like taking one verse out of context. It's taking everything out of context. Like Genesis is important in this one piece of scripture. Yeah. And what the gospel is and what Jesus is trying to fulfill and edify in humanity is also important in this little yeah. piece of scripture so it's like the context just reverberates out in such massive ways which to me is so encouraging because that thread is strong from genesis one totally all totally. the way up through timothy it yeah. all has a purpose and it all serves its itself and each other yeah but it just shows just the complexity and the immensity of how important this one little piece of scripture is. And then, you know, I have all, what is it? I have all power from, or for verse taken out of context, whatever that little, yeah, quote I can, was do, all like, I can do all things. I can do all things taken out of context, which is what yes. we have done.
1: Yeah. Is, and I'm King. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so even if, you know, there are, there are smart people who love Jesus, who disagree. Great, 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 great. great. Um, I just, want to say we're having a conversation about the bible this isn't this isn't something that all of a sudden you know oh oh women are being liberated so we need to go back and look at the bible and say oh they're being liberated there too um i think this was god's idea you know what i mean and jesus was very very clear on uh elevating the status of women sharing in the unnatural and unnecessary shame that were um placed upon women in different contexts. And I, so I, I think that we hinder the gospel more tremendously by not empowering women to serve in every single way. More well, on the power over thing that church. comes
2: up in every single topic. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> and if you that's look it. at your theology and if your theology is, you're getting really pissed off because your power over somebody is being diminished. Yeah. Maybe take a second, take a breath and look at why and how because even with the conversation that we started here with the LGBTQ community, and mm-hmm. that is another power over of one person trying to squash another. Yeah. And that's with the women trying to like, I don't know. I just continually see that as a theme that God is not a fan of. Yeah, yeah. Put, like exercising power over other people. And yeah. I mean, if it, anything comes down to love your neighbor and love your enemy, those are two very specific. Mm-hmm. Don't exert power over others.
1: Yeah, I mean that that exhausts all the people. Yes, you either everybody. fit into those categories. <laughs> There's no the other category, like or the people that you don't like. Yeah. Either way, they're all you there. Love them. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And so you know, the scandal now um, isn't. You know, I mean, if Paul were writing the American Church, he would be talking about what it looks like to make the gospel beautiful yeah and, and what does that look like and how ugly it is that we've that we've made it and um you know that's the lament I think for both of us is we've not only contributed to you know some of the ways that that the gospels become ugly, but you know now you see it and you see it through the eyes of your kids you see it through the eyes of friends you see it through the eyes of minority communities and um, you just realize how Set against Jesus and Paul, that idea is that the that the yes. goal of the Christian community is to be right and to sit in judgment of those who are not. Um, boy, that's rough. So friends, I'm gonna let Timothy go to his paint his house. I'm sorry True. your Thanksgiving was was not fun. Uh, so had I been there, I would have made you a turkey and <laughs> um, you know, we could have eaten together as we're True. painting. Um, I hope you feel better. I hope your family's better. You're getting there. Yeah. I want you to know that Seth Erie and Mike Erie are going to go turn on Ohio State football right now. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And seeing as how Seth blessed us from the very beginning, the podcast is already blessed. That's right. So friends, Romans, countrymen and women, thank you. Appreciate you tuning in. We're always so very grateful to be co-learners alongside with you. Oh, All, when Seth Theory has now stepped up to the mic. Seth, you want to say anything as we go? Um, yeah.
0: Hey, Stella, guess what? What? Nate Erie coming, coming for you.
1: No, oh, Nate oh, no. Erie's coming for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, there he is. Well oh yeah Mm -hmm. it's party time baby (laughs) let's go what up people
2: seth uh requested your theme song at the beginning not his so oh okay i know right we'll
1: see the old switcheroo uh let's play seth's theme song but i say it all right all right all right, everybody um keep sending those emails Um, (laughs) keep sending me love you know i love it clearly you don't get enough i need it clearly um (laughs) my father this doesn't give me any. So oh, yeah. I rely on these emails. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, hit uh, Seth's theme song.
0: Seven, it's up, It's up, It's up.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com/voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology podcast thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us